Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Cara. I'm going to start with a story about hair. Love it. This whole episode is about hair, but I'm going to start with a story that dates back about half a century ago when I was born. (laughs) I was born into a family of a blonde mom and a brunette dad. And I have two older brothers who are actually adopted. And I've talked about that on this show before in other contexts. But the context I'm going to talk about that today is the context of their hair. They were very blonde. They weren't just blonde. They were very blonde and very hairless. The family lore is that when I was born, my mom took one look at me and burst out in tears. She says, because she had a daughter and she was very excited. She had two sons and she was very excited to have a daughter. But really, as this story has evolved over time, maybe some of the tears had to do with the fact that I was literally covered head to toe in black hair, just dark. I was two weeks late. And babies who are late, by the way, are often covered in hair. Little side note, the hair color that you're born with is not always the hair color that you have. And maybe if you stick around till the end of this episode, I'll give you my little secret tip on telling what color a baby's hair will actually be when they're older. But that's just like your incentive to listen to this whole episode. But yes, so I was born covered with dark, dark hair. And I spent my whole youth covered with dark, dark hair and having these very blonde older brothers. And it was a very big issue for me. It impacted my self-esteem in many ways. I probably spent about 18 years thinking that my thick, wavy, very prominent dark hair on my head, on my arms, on my legs. I was really hairy. That that hair was not a sign of beauty. I always thought the blonde, thin hair. And then I remember going to college and being shocked when I started hearing people with thinner, lighter hair complaining that they wish they had more hair. I mean, I don't know why I hadn't paid attention to it before then, but it it really became kind of obvious to me 
suddenly that hair is a grass is always greener situation for so many. And it can really affect self-esteem. I think that's like a really important thrust of today's episode. First of all, thank you for being so honest and vulnerable about that because it's really hard and we carry that with us. Talk about baggage. I want to make sure that people understand that today's episode isn't just about the tactical approach to hair growth at removal or not removal and dealing with that in our kids, but it's also about the social emotional impact of hair in our lives and how much it affects people maybe forever. And I happen to marry a bald guy, which is a whole other story. (laughs) right? And another formative hair story is that there is really no man on either side of our family tree who has hair as an adult. And so when my son was born, since I knew sort of the genetic likelihood that he too would end up bald, although that is now very cool, which is very lucky for him and for my husband. But when he was born, I would rotate his sleep position every three hours to make sure his head stayed really round (laughs) because I knew, I knew this was a head that everyone was going to see. Now he is 16. And um, actually just the other night, we had the conversation about when different men in my family and in my husband's family started to lose their hair. And it dawned on him that maybe he's got about 10 good years left of his big mane. of, And you could see his eyes getting wider and wider. That's a daily conversation in my house because I too come from a family, as is my husband, where everyone's bald. My brothers bizarrely aren't, but like father, grandfathers, great-grandfather, like it's the chips are stacked against them. So my boys are like, we're just going to enjoy it while we have it, which brings us to a topic we will cover today, which is how the hell do you deal with your teenage son's ridiculous hair? Because it is often ridiculous. So I want to remember to circle back to mullets, mohawks, lacrosse players like to call it lettuce. I want to make sure we get back to that. But yes, the family continuum, the genetic continuum. So like My sister and I are both really hairy. Our brothers are not hairy at all. My mother has never been hairy at all. And she'd always be like, oh, I never had to think about removing hair from my bikini line. It was never an issue. Meanwhile, my bikini line basically grew almost to my knees to the point where my friends in college would call it the Vanessa when you need to remove your bikini line. I'm laughing with you, Vanessa. I'm laughing with you. Mid thigh. And my sister and I were like, mom, that's not helpful to tell us that you never had to deal with it. So point to parents here because Cara and I have both experienced this. When you are parenting a child, either a child is genetically yours or a child you adopted or whatever the way you made your family and your kid, if you look different than your kid, if your hair situation specifically is different with your kid, please don't say, huh, I never had to deal with that or, oh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, you just go deal with it. It is a big deal and it carries a lot of weight. So that's... And also bikinis look different now. So we'll just put a pin in that thought. Cara, there has been so much work around my Vanessa. You cannot even... (laughs) Oh my gosh. We're going to have a lot of fun in this episode. So here we go. We're going to talk about hair, hair everywhere. And specifically, we're going to cover when does it show up during the path through puberty? What order does hair growth happen in? Because right, there's hair growing all over the body in different places at different rates, different textures. Um, And then we're going to talk about getting it off, right? Removing it and why some people want to do that and how they do that and some of the safety issues around doing that. Or if you don't want to remove it at all, or your kid doesn't want to remove it. And that is a big battleground. That's right. So let's, should we jump in? Yeah. You know what I want you to do? So you open the door to the fact that some people are very hairy before they ever hit puberty. And as someone who has coached thousands of girls, grade school girls, many of whom have begun puberty, but many of whom hadn't and who had 
There were girls not yet in puberty who had dark hair on their legs and they expressed their self-consciousness and discomfort. So I know we want to talk about what happens when kids hit puberty or the sort of parallel hair growth. What's your advice? What's your medical advice to parents? And then we can talk about how we have this conversation. You know, eight-year-old daughter says, oh, I have so much hair on my legs. I hate it. I want to get rid of it. What do we do? So let's rewind for a second to talk about the spectrum of hair distribution on different people's bodies. Because some people are born with a lot of hair. Some people are born with a lot of hair and then it falls off and then they really aren't that hairy ever again. And some people, it just has staying power and they have hairy arms and they have hairy legs and they have that low back little hair patch that really, actually that interestingly is a huge driver of low self-esteem for some people. Eyebrows can be very thick for some kids and sometimes that's the first place that the hair starts to thicken. So there are lots of different ways that kids can enter this space, as you described, before they get sort of a surge of hair growth. And we live in a culture that is very visually oriented, especially on social media. And more often than not, hair is not prominently featured. Body hair is not prominently featured in those images. In other words, in the culture in which we live, more often than not, it is considered a beautifying step to remove hair. I think that's the most important place to start because that's actually not true. That is what the culture of social media in this country, in many pockets of this country, seems to portray. And yet, in reality, culturally, in many pockets in this country, hair is beautifying. And so just that conflict between what some kids are told visually and what other kids are sort of told culturally is confusing. And when I had kids come into my practice at age seven and eight and nine, and the parents would say, the hairiness of her legs is devastating to her. They were not exaggerating. They really Mm -hmm. meant it because there was a lot of internal conflict. What they were seeing as beautiful in the world and what they were being told in their home was beautiful was in conflict. And that was really, really hard. And so one of the things that we're not going to be able to give individuals who are listening to this podcast is specific advice about what to do, when, and how because it's such a personal decision. Hair removal or keeping hair, both of which should be active choices, it's a really personal decision. But I strongly recommend to the adults who are raising kids who are seeing more hair growth or kids who are noticing the hair on their body in a new way, I strongly encourage you to actually listen to what your kids are saying or what the kids in your lives are saying. Because the ones who are flagging it as something that bothers them, they're sharing with you something that bothers them. And whether you want them to do something about it or not, whether you feel comfortable with them doing something about it or not, that doesn't take away from the fact that they actually have very real feelings about the hair on their body. And just opening the door to that conversation, if you do nothing more, just opening the door to that conversation is huge. Car, is it safe for... Let's say you have a kid who's deeply unhappy and it's affecting them. Is it safe for a kid before puberty to like shave their legs or get waxed or whatever? Yeah. I mean, we can talk about safety and complications of hair removal and we're going to get to that in a minute. But the answer is yes, you could do all of this safely. The question is psychologically, is it safe? And emotionally, is it safe? And what is the messaging that we're giving our kids What's the balance here between their telling us they don't like, you know, X feature on their body and our rushing to their rescue and changing it for them versus having dialogue around everyone's body is different. This is how your body looks. Let's sit with it for a while. Let's talk about it. Let's explore why it's bothering you. And over time, we can come to a decision about how we want to handle it, which is frankly always going to be the right answer. 
It's not even about hair. It's always going to be the right answer, right? So let's just go through a quick timeline of when hair shows up on the path of puberty. Because I think if parents can anticipate when these conversations are going to happen, it will really help. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere, so we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra, and it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft, and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their Umbra's. It's why we say that the Umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order... Go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. 
And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Hey, I'm Allie Colbert. I'm a stand-up comedian, actress, and writer from New York City. And I'm Jackie Colbert. I have made my career as a comedian by using my insights and wit to make points. Funny points, but points. Look, I have good taste and too much common sense for just myself, so I'm going to share it with you guys. Okay, Allie, get over yourself. <laughs> and my younger sister and best friend Jackie is here to bring me back down to earth. Every Tuesday, Jackie and I are going to hang out with each other and some of our favorite people. And of course, respond to your questions and confessions. So send in your secrets. It's like church, but I'm Jewish and bisexual. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You want the unfortunate news? I mean, I guess. We've talked about this, but for those who haven't heard it before... When a child goes into puberty, there's no correlation between sexual maturation and hair growth. Those two things happen on very different timelines, depending upon the kid. And so just because a person is developing breast buds or a person has testicles that are growing does not mean that that person will start sprouting hair at any predictable time. This is confusing, but let me explain it. Secondary sex characteristics. So the things that make female anatomy shift and change so that they can be part of a reproductive system and male anatomy, the things that shift and change so that they can become part of a reproductive, functional reproductive system, testicular growth, penile growth, labial growth, you know, ovaries that are now primed to have eggs that can ovulate. All of these steps are governed by hormones that are cycling between the brain, FSH and LH, and either the ovaries and the testicles, either estrogen and progesterone or testosterone. Hair growth, pubic hair, underarm hair, thickening of arm hair, thickening of leg hair, eventually mustache hair, beard hair, all of that hair growth is governed largely by a totally different hormone system. It's a set of hormones that are released from the adrenal glands called the adrenal androgens. They're cousins of testosterone. That's what tells hair to grow. The adrenal glands sit on top of your kidneys. They're really pretty distant from the ovaries and the testicles. The pathway is totally different, which is why Sometimes parents will show up at a pediatrician's office with a five or six-year-old with pubic hair and rightfully be very concerned that that child is going into puberty, but they're often not. Sometimes they are, and that's why they need to be examined, but oftentimes they are not. Hair growth and pubertal development are not one in the same. Ask me any questions. Okay. so. If they're not one and the same, why do they often happen around the same time? Right. Because they're timed out together, right? Because the growth of hair is part of the whole constellation of things that take a body from being childlike to adult-like. And it all kind of happens along the same general time frame. But when your ovaries are pumping out estrogen, that signal does not then directly turn on hair growth. When your testicles are pumping out testosterone, that signal does not in and of itself directly turn on hair growth. Where does it show up first? So even if it's not tied to puberty, where should we expect to see new hair growth first? The first place we tend to see it on genetically female bodies is 
in the pelvic region. It's on the pubis, which is sort of that area just above where the labia and then the clitoris sits. It's that sort of flat part of the skin between there and where the top of the underwear line would be. So that's the most common place. And what we see is a, it's called downy hair. We all know what downy hair is, but we don't always know the name for downy hair. Downy hair is that really fine, straight, light. Um, On genetically male bodies, it tends to show up in the mustache region. And now you know what downy hair is, right? It's that, it's that first round with my husband mustache. calls them my husband calls them puby mustaches with his <laughs> English accent. My kids are like, oh God, uh, that's so gross. And on genetically female bodies, it can show up as mustache as well. Yeah. Which is a very, very big hit to self-esteem for some people. I want to make sure, in case we forget to down the road, to normalize that facial hair growth occurs in people yeah. of all genders. And again, societal training makes us believe that it's only facial hair is only in genetically males, but that's not true. And it is yeah. really a bad feeling when genetic females are like, oh, well, this isn't right because I'm, I'm a girl or I'm a woman or whatever, and I shouldn't have facial hair. That's right. And, and facial hair, I think you're referring to mustache and beard, but brows are a big part of facial hair growth. Chins, sideburns. Chins, yep. But all you need to do is, maybe we'll put this on social media, See, it, take a look at a picture of me from eighth grade and you evidence that you know your brows really grow when your, your body is cueing your hair to start sprouting. I'm holding you to that. I'm going to ask one other sort of medical question and then we're going to get into like all the complications of hair removal, right. which is... What should a caregiver do if the hair does show up yeah. much earlier than expected? Oh, let me just say one other place that yeah. sometimes shows up, armpits. And yeah. that really freaks out some parents. It doesn't necessarily freak out the kids because the kids don't see it. They're not really noticing it there. It's funny how, how kids don't stand I in front of mirrors and look at I find parents really freak out about pubic hair. Yes. Like really, really freak out about pubic hair, partially because... People don't know that it is common for pubic hair to appear much earlier than it did when we were going through puberty. So, Carr, can you talk about like the ages? Yeah. And yeah, because it's also common for it to appear late, right? So very late, very like much, late. or armpit hair, or mustaches, or facial hair. Yes. yes. So this is an impossible one to answer, but I will tell you that just like everything else in puberty, there's a very wide range. And today it is completely common to see some downy hair growth on the pubis or in the mustache area by eight in some kids and not until 12 or 13 or 14 in other kids. And your question, if you think you're seeing it really early, you know, when do you need to go get checked? I always think that parents should take their kids and guardians should take their kids to be checked if there's ever anything on the body that is flagging worry for them. You don't have to tell your kids you're worried, but it's never a bad idea to open up lines of communication with your primary care doctor. If a child is five, six, seven, and has what looks like pubic hair or underarm hair or another early place of growth is thickening of the hair on the distal legs, so between the knees and the ankles, or the distal arms between the elbows and the wrists. Those are areas that the hair thickens. If that's starting to happen, take your kid. It's great. Why not? Why not engage in a conversation rather than engaging Dr. Google? So that's when I would... Or uh, freaking out at your kid about it, right? If you're, that's right? if you're feeling worried and your kid hasn't said anything and seems oblivious, you should still go. Don't talk to your kid about, oh, honey, you've got hair there. I don't think that's right. Let's go see the doctor. You just say, hey, kiddo, let's go see the doctor. I have some questions. And, that, and that's that, it. I'd say the more common scenario is the reverse where the parent isn't worried, um, except pubic hair, Pubic yeah. hair, parents, parents, parents do worry, and I think that's out. very, I think is very reasonable. But when it's arm, leg, or mustache or brow, I would say the more common conversation is the reverse conversation, where it's a child telling an adult 
this really bothers me or this really worries me. And the adults often don't know how to handle that information. Sometimes they want to reassure and that's great, but reassurance can make a child feel like the conversation's being minimized. And so if you're in a situation where you've got a kid in your life who's really worried about their hair growth, again, why not take them to see their primary care provider? That's a person who we're asking that our kids to trust those healthcare providers with so much. And as they get older, with so much more, with conversations around sex and drugs and all sorts of things, why not start with this and make it a visit where the child can actually ask some questions? So let's start with some scenarios because I think this is where the the rubber hits the road. Your kid has, uh, I'm going to say your daughter has underarm hair. It's April. For those of us who live in colder climates, she's going to start wearing tank tops in you know a month or so. And you're kind of like, oh, I know how this goes. She's got underarm hair. The minute she wears a tank top, somebody's going to say something to her. It's going to scar her. This is forever. But as you mentioned, Cara, kids with underarm hair sometimes don't notice that they have underarm hair and they're not saying anything about it. So how do we handle it when we ourselves know the potential pathway for kind of trauma about hair on our bodies, but our kids not bringing it up? Right. And also recognize what you've done in that setup. You've brought all of your gender stereotypes into play and all of your cultural stereotypes into play. So we've named that it's a daughter. If it was a son, we would not be framing it this way, right? That's the gender stereotype. And the cultural stereotype being that in the culture in which we live, removal of underarm hair is more common than not. So the first thing that pediatricians recommend is removing the gender and cultural stereotypes. And when you come to the conversation with your kid, it's not about sort of defining hair removal as a female thing, okay? That's not the way the world works anymore or frankly ever really worked. And it's also culturally, there's a big cultural shift happening and your cultural assumptions about hair may in fact not resonate with your kid's cultural assumptions. So just look at bearding, right? They do this sine wave thing where they are massively popular for a long time and then they're out of style for a long time and then they come back. And we accept that flexibility and variability with facial hair. Why don't we do that with hair on other parts of the body? And I encourage every adult listening to this to take your gender and your cultural stereotypes out of the equation. So the first thing I would do with a child who's got underarm hair, who may or may not know it, is to have a conversation pointing it out in a completely non-judgmental way. Hey, it looks like you have some underarm hair. Okay, that's cool. Do you have any questions about it? That's where I would start. So noticing, not judging, not demanding action, just simply noticing. Because if there is stuff going on in our kids' bodies, we do want to be talking about it. We don't want to put our heads in the sand or have them not realize it. We want, we want their bodies to be an ongoing, non-judgmental conversation. And there's this thing that we adults do as kids get older and older and older, where we ignore the elephant in the room until we can't ignore it anymore. And then we have to have this whole conversation. And if we had just acknowledged the presence of the elephant a while back, the bigger conversation would be so much easier in the long run. So yes, noticing. And the follow-up question is, why would you even bring it up if there's nothing to say? But there is something to say, which is your body is shifting and changing. It's time for your hygiene strategies to shift and change a little bit. Let's talk about using soap in the shower in your armpits because hair tends to trap smell a little bit more because it's hotter and sweatier in there. Let's talk about 
You can always come to me if you have questions about how you feel about this hair. You know, you're just opening the door to a hundred tiny little conversations about how a child might feel so that when and if, I should really say if, because hopefully it's not a when, if someone does bully your child about their hair, and I was definitely, in hindsight, when I look back on it, there's no question I was bullied about my hair. It was something I was so sensitive to that I didn't even notice all the voices around me, but I was really hairy. And, and, and when that happens, having permission to go to the adult in your life and to say, this thing happened and it made me feel really bad and I want to do something about my hair. Gosh, that's so much easier for everyone involved. So what do we do? Let's reverse the let's reverse the order. Let's say I you know, a kid comes and says I have hair in my pubic area and I want to get rid of it. I don't want it. Right? How do we handle okay. that, Cara? So Vanessa, that is the best question because first of all, if you have a kid who's coming to you with that question, you've done something really right. Because that kid is coming to you with that question. For the most part, kids manage hair on their own. The the most common scenarios that I hear, I want to shave my legs. I don't want to talk to my parent about it. So I went to camp and I learned from my friends. I don't like having pubic hair. I want to get rid of it. So I just went ahead and got rid of it. My friends told me how, or I went on TikTok or YouTube or wherever, and I watched some videos and I learned how. I shaved. I used a depilatory like nair that makes the hair fall out. I went and found someone who would do a wax, even though, you know, I didn't tell my mom. I went and found someone who would laser it. By the way, you have to be over 18 to get laser electrolysis without a parent. I went and found someone who would laser it. And also, it's so expensive. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And, And painful. And you have to go back a bunch of times. So, If you have open communication with the kid in your home and they've come to you to ask, can I do something about it? You should just mentally high-five yourself right there because you've opened the door enough for that conversation. If you have a child who has not come to you and you have a moment where you realize that they have taken matters into their own hands and you notice that the once hairy part of their body is totally bald now, I strongly encourage you to steal yourself and take a deep breath and ask them about the choice they made and open the door to that conversation. That might sound something like, so I noticed that you don't have any hair on your legs today. And yesterday you had hair on your legs. Or the more likely scenario is your kid comes home from sleepaway camp and they left with lots of dark hair on their lower legs and they came home with no hair on their legs. Lots of stubble. (laughs) And nicks and like all of that. I first shaved my legs at camp with those like pink disposable razors that came in a pack of like 20. You mean the person who brought 20 so that everyone Everyone could shave? shave. And I always used to cut my knee and my ankle. Those were the two places. So I came home from camp with all those nicks. So your kid comes home from camp and they've shaved their legs and you don't say you are in so much trouble. I told you not to shave your legs and you shaved your legs. I'm disgusted. Go up to your room now, right? Like we're not shutting down the conversation. Not helpful. We might say something like, so you went to camp with hair on your legs and you came home from camp without hair on your legs. Talk me through that process. Right? There's a little humor. There's a little noticing. There's no freaking. There's no judgment. That's that- especially hard to say when every signal you've ever sent your kid is, I don't want you to shave yet. I don't want you to shave yet. Another really common scenario, Vanessa, is you are all going for a swim or going to the beach or going on a vacation in a warm area and your kid puts on a bathing suit and you realize that they do not have the Vanessa. But they have... No one does. (laughs) It's special for Vanessa. What they have is hundreds of little red bumps that look inflamed and infected lining their bikini line. 
And now you're sitting there going, okay, so my kid shaved, presumably you're assuming the path to hair removal, my kid shaved. And now there are hundreds of little infections or it's really inflamed and irritated. And how do I even begin that conversation? And so let's just talk quickly about different methodologies for removing hair and different complications that you can have from each one so that this is a good place to have a really objective and almost clinical conversation with your kid, right? Yeah. I mean, we did a pro-con. I've done pro-con lists with my kids. And it's actually a pretty effective way to do it because you're not laying down hard and fast rules, but you are presenting them with two sides of the story. That's right. So here it is. I'm just going to lay it out for you. Okay. So shaving. So shaving cuts the hair at a blunt angle, right? You have a flat cut across the hair. The pro of shaving is it's cheap. You can do it at home. And it is accessible for all. You know, you can stubble grows back, you can shave again, it's quick. Cons of shaving, you have cut the hair bluntly across. So when the hair grows back, it looks thicker. It is not thicker. That's a total myth. Anything that gets cut flat across, then when it comes back in, what you're seeing is the cross section, which is much bigger than a narrow pointed tip of a hair, which looks much thinner. That's why people say waxing your hair grows back thinner. It doesn't really, it just grows back tapered. So it's a little bit of an optical illusion. So that's a con that it looks like it grows back thicker. Another con is that if you shave with an old or sort of rusty or um, less sharp razor, you can really irritate the skin or you can cut the skin. You can have all of these microscopic abrasions. They can sting, they can get red and irritated and inflamed, they can get infected. And so that's a complication. Your ankles and knees, classic shaving injury sites because the way razors are designed held the pressure that everything, the skin is so much softer on the ankles and so much harder on the knees. And often we don't adapt our shaving strategies to those areas that are bumpy and pointy and have different skin. And then the other big thing to know about shaving is there are lots of ways to shave. You can use a disposable razor and then you should use something lathery, water and soap or shaving cream. Or you can use an electric razor, which a lot of people will use for face in particular, but you then should not use water with an electric razor. But a lot of kids in particular who are trying to hide their shaving will try shaving hacks. Like The other day I was I was talking to a couple of 20-somethings who were describing their universal phenomenon that I'd never heard of, which was shaving with moisturizer so their parents wouldn't know they were shaving because they didn't buy shaving cream. And so there was no tell. We got a question from a parent over our Instagram account who was asking about what do we recommend for you know early shavers or first-time shavers. And one of the things I like are the razors that have the kind of shaving cream built in around the razor and have a kind of a flexible head and are are more able to kind of rotate around different parts of the body. The built-in shaving cream, because it's one less step and they're less likely, if they forget the shaving cream, at least they've got it in in the razor. And then the flexibility, less likely hopefully to like nick or cut themselves. Hey, Vanessa, do you know the difference between men's razors and women's razors? No. Nothing. (laughs) It's just marketing. Just side note. True (laughs) side note. Trick question. All right. So let's talk about waxing for a second. And I want to talk about ingrown hairs in general because I know that can happen with different hair removal approaches. And it's, you know, ingrown hairs can be yucky and painful in a lot of different ways. So let's talk about waxing and then ingrown hairs. Perfect. So waxing, as most people know, involves applying warm, not burning hot, but warm wax to the skin and then putting a piece of cloth paper on top of the wax and then ripping the wax off the skin in... You have to do it 
oriented in the right way so that you actually pull the hair out by its root. If you do it in the wrong direction, it's often very ineffective. Whereas if you do it in the correct direction because of the way the hair grows. So I think um, I am not a waxer, uh, professional waxer, although I have had many waxes in my life, but I I think you have to go in the or against the orientation yes. of the way the hair is growing in order to get it out most effectively. By the way, having you describe it, I've gotten waxed so many times in my life, and having you describe it, it's like bringing <laughs> viscerally bringing back the experience again. Like I can feel my body sort of jerking as it does when I, you know, they're ripping the hair out of well, my skin. And it's funny because I think a lot of parents think waxing is a really smart first toe in the water to hair removal, partly because of the pain. They will tell me if it's not super comfortable, my kid won't want to remove the hair. Like, I'm not sure the point of that because either you're on board with the hair removal or you're not. Mm -hmm. And I think the discomfort associated with waxing shouldn't be your strategy around waxing. We're not doing psychological warfare on our kids. In terms of hair removal, we're in dialogue and we're trying to make it as emotionally and physically (laughs) comfortable for our kids to deal with the hair and the way they want to deal with it. So waxing, actually a very funny story about waxing, which Andrew Goldberg shared on his episode with us. Andrew Goldberg, the brilliant and funny co-creator of Big Mouth, was an early bloomer who had a mustache and his father decided the right thing to do was to wax his mustache And he waxed his mustache. And for many decades, Andrew could not grow a mustache on his face. So he had like that captain's look where you have like no mustache, but a beard. And it was uh, fair. I think there's actually a whole episode about it on Big Mouth. So funny. I mean, but, but it brings up this question. Does waxing actually postpone or delay or stop hair growth where you waxed? And the answer is... You're ripping the hair out at the site of the follicle. Like you're you're pulling the whole hair unit out. You're not cutting it. You're pulling the whole unit out. And so some number of follicles will just not regrow. And if you wax enough over enough time, it's like if you're planting a vegetable garden and you've got lettuce planted in your vegetable garden and you pluck the leaves off the lettuce and you let the roots still stay in the ground, that's shaving, right? You're going to regrow the lettuce leaves very easily. If you pull the whole head of lettuce out of the ground and you're taking the root system and everything else, I guess there are some spots where you left enough root or there's some sort of enough of a component of the lettuce left behind that it will regrow in its place. But if you've really effectively removed the whole lettuce bulb, that lettuce is not regrowing. That is why if you wax enough over enough time, you're just removing those follicles and eventually the hair will thin because less of it will grow back over time. And there are a lot of people who talk about sort of having a lifetime of waxing and then their hair kind of disappearing. Let's talk about how we deal or help our kids deal with ingrown hairs. Right. Because waxing is the most common scenario where we see ingrown hairs. Certainly not the only. We see it with every other hair removal strategy. But if you're pulling hair out by its root and then a new hair grows, it's deep in the skin and the tip of the hair, which is fine. We've already talked about that, right? It's pointed and tapered. It has to find its way to the surface. It's not always great at doing that. And sometimes it gets trapped underneath the surface and it winds around on itself. It keeps growing, but it winds around on itself and it sort of curls inside the follicle. And over time, that causes inflammation and irritation. And so initially, it might look like a little bump on the surface that's either skin-colored or white. Eventually, the immune system's coming in going, I got to clear this thing out. It gets red. It gets irritated. Those are the classic shaved pubic hair spots because those pubic hairs are thicker. And so it's harder for them to find their way to the surface. And so they tend to get lost and they tend to coil underneath the skin. And if, you know, depending upon your hair texture too, people with super fine, super straight hair tend to have fewer ingrowns. People with thick, 
very curly hair tend to have more. And um, you will see ingrowns on the face. You will see ingrowns in the pubic region. You will see, don't see it as much in the underarms, which is interesting, but we do see it. So how do we treat it? What do we do if we notice that our kid has an ingrown? Let's say in the in the pubic region. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky because every instinct in me is to pop it. Yeah, it. like pop it, and, right? Express that, get that hair out, but it is, that is not the right way to handle it. So, warm compresses on the area make a very big difference. Using a loofah, something that will stop the new skin cells growing on top of where the hair is trying to grow through makes a big difference, but you can't really use a loofah when it's super red and irritated and angry. So, you want to just use the loofah ahead of time if you're being proactive. And I suggest for teenagers, I think they should have loofahs or hand loofahs, which are like these little hand washcloths that are rough. Put them in the bath or shower and they should be washing all of their skin with a loofah every day if they can before their skin gets angry and irritated. Because once it gets angry and irritated, that's not a great strategy. I want you to do one minute on the safety of laser. And then I want to talk about dealing with, I'm going to gender this because it's a very specific kind of thing, teenage boys and their hair, their facial hair, and then the trend of the manscaper. Okay. So let's do lasers. Let's do depilatories for about 20 seconds first. Depilatories, Nair is the classic example. They are lotions that have chemicals inside of them that essentially just disintegrate the the base of the hair shaft so that the hair, you put this stuff on your skin, it smells horrible. You leave it on your skin for a certain number of minutes, depending upon what the instructions are. And then you wipe or wash it off and you wipe away the hair. Depilatories essentially do what shaving does, just cuts the hair off where the hair is coming out of the skin. Laser and electrolysis are permanent hair removal solutions. And what they use is pulsed laser or light waves that essentially stop the follicle from growing. And then the follicle just sort of involutes and no longer produces a hair. And so anyone who's had laser or electrolysis will know you're instructed to shave the area before you do the laser electrolysis, because the hair that's sticking out will actually literally fry it. It's very dramatic. And instead, then the laser goes over the skin. And and even before that, that hair has a chance to grow a whole lot more. Just sort of some number of those follicles, depending upon where they are in their growth cycle, will be responsive to the laser and will just stop growing. And over a course of maybe four, maybe six, maybe eight treatments, depending upon where you're treating and who is doing the treatment and what the settings are, the hair will no longer grow in that region. Let me just say, I really believe that no person should do permanent hair removal until they're really, really ready to never have hair in that area again. So for parents who have kids that are teenagers and those kids are traumatized by the hair that is on whatever part of their body, arms, legs, it doesn't matter. I personally really believe that you should do non-permanent solutions while they're teenagers. Meet them where they are, meet their needs, but you can wax, you can shave, you can use a depilatory. I'd save the permanent hair removal solutions until kids are old enough to really be able to think through the long-term consequences, especially pubic hair. And this gets to your manscaping question. So when I talk to kids who are in their late teens through their early 30s. <laughs> I like how I call them kids. kids. Their early 30s. <laughs> the By far, the most common approach to pubic hair grooming is removal. And in that age group, it is near total or total removal of pubic hair. And if you are surprised by that statement, go talk to anyone you know between the ages of 18 and 30 and ask them how many people they know have permanently removed their pubic hair. It is really remarkable, is very, very different from other generations. And by the way, to the extent that I had to say to my sons, because I was worried 
that they might encounter someone who has hair on their pubic hair and that they would like, you know, in an intimate setting, they would freak out because they just assumed no one has hair down there that I had to say, it is normal. It is biologically normal to for have people hair. to have hair yes. down there. Yeah. And, and I think there's a, there's a much bigger conversation that we're not going to have today, but we are going to have at some point about the influence of pornography on some of that decision-making. And I, I think that that is too simplistic an explanation. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's in the world of pornography, there's been hair removal for so long and it just proves porn's influence and this, that, and the other. And it's not that I wholeheartedly disagree with that statement. I just think there are a lot of drivers that are laddering up to influencing how people in that age group remove pubic hair. And I will say for the record that I really, really think permanent hair removal at the labia or the scrotum, I think you got to really think about in 10 or 20 years, do you not want any hair down there? And it's a hard long-term decision to make. So if you're not 100% positive, just do the temporary removal. As you spoke earlier, people are very gendered about the approach of hair removal, where it's girls want to remove hair and boys don't think about hair removal. And what I want to say is that's not true, that boys and men um, care a lot about their hair and a manscaper is exactly what it sounds like, which is it scapes the pubic region of a male I don't know if scaping is an actual word, but if it were, that's how I would describe it. And that it's really common for teenage boys and men to trim or remove hair around their scrotum and their penises. And there's a lot of pressure for them not to have hair down there or to have less hair down there. And so... Or on their chest or on their Or back. waxing. Young men who have back hair are very self-conscious about it. Ear hair, chest hair. And sometimes they don't want to shave their faces, right? Sometimes they don't want to remove the hair on their faces. There's a battle. There were battles in my house about the mustache. I had one kid who just, he hated shaving. It didn't feel good. He didn't want to do it. And he was showing up to school with a particularly sad looking mustache. Sorry, kiddo. I love you. And we had battles about it. And I wish I had handled it differently. And I didn't say to him, hey, I notice you're not shaving your mustache and actually the dress code in your school is that you need to shave your facial hair. What's wow, going on? That's an interesting... That's yes. a whole episode. Yeah. Right I mean, there. it's not anymore. COVID did away with so much of the dress code stuff, but I didn't say what's going on. I said, get up to your room and get rid of the hair on your face, which is terrible parenting by me. Um, but at least my husband also said the same thing. So if our kids are not removing hair, if they are asking to remove hair and we're surprised because of their gender or whatever, get at the root of it and get at the root of it with curiosity. No pun intended. Oh my God. I Good just one, did that Jessica. for you, not on purpose. But find out like, hey, I noticed you used to shave your legs and now you're not shaving your legs. Just wondering what's going through your mind, right? Or I notice that you're wearing shorts every time we go to the pool and you're not taking your shorts off. And I just wanted to hear what was going on for you, right? Like we do want to be in conversation with our kids, as you said. Or you're wearing pants. I know people who will not take off their lower bottoms, whatever they are. So I think we want to end with just, you know, that message that hair is a complex and fraught topic. And we bring our baggage to it and our kids bring their own stuff to it. And the best thing we can do to help them is to approach it with curiosity and kindness and to try to understand, to hear from them, to elicit from them what's causing them to make the decisions they're making and what's causing them to express the needs or worries that they are expressing rather than judging and assuming we know and rather than dictating exactly how things are going to go. Remember how I promised at the very top that if you stayed with us for the entire episode, I would teach you how to tell what color hair a baby is really going to have? Yes, please. Okay, here it is. Look at the color of their eyebrows. 
So when a baby is born, it is not the color of the hair on their head that tells you if they're going to be blonde or brunette or redheaded. It is the color of their eyebrows. That is your pearl of the day. I could also say some really deeply inappropriate things that I've heard not about babies and the color that they're gonna, of hair that they're going to grow. That to involves have. curtains and shades and all sorts of things. Uh, correct. Yes. yes. We'll save that for another time. This is great, Cara. Thank you for providing us with so much important information. It's really helpful. Bye, Vanessa. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.